Chapters 41 and 42 of Her Mother's Secret. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter 41. His Fate. Aunt Elfrida, dear, I want to speak to you. Can you give me a few moments quite alone this morning? inquired Lee of Mrs. Force in a low voice, as they left the breakfast-room together, the last two in the rear of the party. "'Yes, Lee, come into my sitting-room, where we shall be uninterrupted,' replied the lady, in the same subdued tone, and with a somewhat troubled look, as if she anticipated a painful interview. The other members of the family passed on through the door on the right side of the hall, and entered the drawing-room. Mrs. Force turned from them, and opened the door on the left, and preceded Lee into the little parlour. When they were both in the room, the lady shut the door, and turned the key, and motioned Lee to take one armchair on one side of the centre table, while she herself sank into the other, saying, "'Now then, Lee, dear boy, I am ready to hear what you wish to say to me.' "'Maybe you know, Aunt Elfrida, that I am going to see in a few days,' he said, leaning over the table toward her. "'Yes, Lee, I heard so from your uncle, and was very sorry to hear it, dear boy.' "'I suppose my uncle told you why.' just as I had come into a rich inheritance, I applied for sailing orders. Yes, Lee. And why, though now I would like to resign, I cannot in honor do so? He told me all, Lee. I shall be gone for three years, Aunt Elfrida. I know it, and I am very sorry. I—I I shall leave you all on the 2nd of January, and—and and before I go, I would like to have an understanding with you about— "'About Odalite,' said Lee, stammering and blushing, as if he had been asking for the hand of his sweetheart for the first time. But then it was so soon after her broken marriage, and his act seemed so audacious. The lady turned pale, and gripped the edge of the table for support. It had come, then, the ordeal she had dreaded so much. "'Odalite?' she faltered. "'Yes, Aunt Elfrida, and I should ask your pardon for speaking of my hopes just now.' and I should not presume to do so, only that I am going away so soon, and am to be gone so long, faltered the lover, blushing more intensely than before. "'What have you to say of Odalite, then?' inquired the lady. "'Oh, Aunt Elfrida, can you ask? I wish, first of all, your permission to correspond with her while I am away, just as I did before, you know. And then, most of all, I wish that it shall be understood, just as it was before.' that when I return from my next voyage, Odalite and I may be married. And, and of course, I shall leave the navy then, and settle down with Odalite at Greenbushes, just as it was understood and arranged that we should do before, before the stranger came to trouble us. That is what I want and hope and pray for, Aunt Elfrida, pleaded the lover. The lady's head was dropped upon her hand while her elbow rested on the table. She was silent and thoughtful for a few moments. That seemed hours to Lee's anxiety and then she asked, "'Do you think it right, dear boy, to approach a young girl on the subject of a second engagement so soon after the disruption of her marriage at the altar?' The question was not unkindly put, yet the blush deepened on the youth's cheek. "'I said that I would not mention the subject now, but that I am going away in so few days, and for years. Nor would I, even under these circumstances, if it were not that—' He suddenly caught himself up and stopped— he had been on the brink of involuntarily betraying Odalite's confidence, and adding, "'Odalite herself admits that she has no regret for her broken-off marriage, and never really cared for any one but her first lover. For Lee was all unaccustomed to having secrets to keep.' "'What were you going to add, dear boy, if it were not that—what?' inquired the lady, 
who had observed his hesitation and embarrassment. "'If it were not that I know her to be quite free,' he answered diplomatically. "'But is she quite free, Leonidas?' gravely questioned the lady. "'Is she not?' demanded the youth, in astonishment. "'I do not know, my boy. I am not sure. But, oh, Lee, I have never breathed a doubt on this subject to her. And do not you breathe this to any living soul,' solemnly repeated the lady. "'Great Sphinx of Egypt,' said the youth to himself, "'have I got to keep the secrets of each one from all the others, "'and without even having the satisfaction of knowing what the secrets are?' "'Listen to me, Lee,' said the lady kindly. "'I have no objection to your corresponding with Odalite while you are on your voyage. "'But there must be no engagement, or hint of an engagement between you, "'either before you go or in any of your letters. "'Moreover, your letters must not be directed immediately to Odalite, "'but under cover to me.' "'I thank you for even so much grace, Aunt Elfrida. "'But why may not my letters be directed to Odalite? "'Because they might get her unjustly and disrespectfully talked about,' "'she said evasively. "'But, oh, Aunt Elfrida, why should you doubt that Odalite is free? "'Why, the fact is abundantly proven.' "'No, dear boy, there is where the trouble is. "'We think it was proven, but we are not sure. "'What we are sure of is this, "'that there was a marriage ceremony performed by special license.' and by a regularly ordained minister of the gospel, and in the presence of more than a hundred witnesses, between Angus Anglesia and Odalite Force, and which, if both parties were free to contract marriage at the time, binds them together as man and wife for the term of their natural lives. That is all that we positively know, Lee, gravely replied the lady. The youth sprang up from his chair with a cry of pain. I cannot bear to think of that, he said, as he dropped again into his seat. But it cannot be true. The news from St. Sebastian proves that the man was the husband of another woman at the time that he tried to marry your daughter, and that therefore the ceremony was no marriage at all, and she is free. Leonidas, let me put a possible case. Suppose that when Anglesia married the Californian widow, he had an invalid wife living at the time in England. Then the marriage with the Californian would have been of no effect. Suppose in the interim between the ceremony performed in the church at St. Sebastian and this performed at All Faith Church, the invalid wife had died, then the last marriage would be legal and binding. "'Oh, Aunt Elfrida, why do you suppose such dreadful conditions?' exclaimed the youth. "'Because, my poor boy, I have reason to believe them to be the true conditions,' sorrowfully replied the lady. The youth sprang up and walked the floor in great excitement. "'What reasons have you for thinking as you do?' he at length demanded. I cannot tell you now, dear boy. But you do not know this to be the case? You only think so? he questioned. No, I do not know it, because I cannot reply upon the truthfulness of my informant, nor on the genuineness of the evidence offered. Who was your informant, Aunt Elfrida? I cannot tell you, Lee. But anyhow, I am sure if that villain had any claim at all on Odalite, brute that he was, he would have pushed it to extremity. No doubt he would if he had dared, but he dared not, Lee. If he had claimed Odalite as his lawful wife, on the ground that his former marriage with Mrs. Wright was an illegal one, upon account of the fact of his having had a wife living at the time it was contracted, and dead since, be sure that the honest California woman, finding herself deceived, would have prosecuted him for bigamy, and our courts would have punished him with the utmost rigor of the law. So though he might have a lawful claim on Odalite, he dared not press it, "'No, nor dared he even to remain in the country. "'You know that he has sailed for England.' 
"'Yes, thank heaven. "'But, oh, Aunt Elfrida, "'if there should be any foundation for your fears, "'that Anglesia has any claim on Odalite, "'then Uncle Abel should see to it at once "'and have her freed from such a monster by course of law,' "'vehemently exclaimed Lee. "'And so he should, "'if there were any certainty about that claim, "'but there is none. "'Odalite may be free, or she may not be. "'We cannot be sure until we know more of the man's antecedents. "'Lee, you must be patient and very prudent.' Odalite's position is a very delicate one. You must not think of entering into any engagement with her at present, or doing anything, or saying anything, or writing anything that shall compromise her in the very slightest degree. I am very sure that you would not, Lee. I would die first, earnestly answered the youth. You can write to her as often as you please as a brother might write to a sister, and through me always. Remember that, and wait for events, Lee." Be sure of one thing, under no circumstances will Abel Force ever give his daughter to Angus Anglesia. If he, Anglesia, should ever be able to prove that the ceremony performed in All Faith Church last Tuesday was a lawful one, Odalite's father would at once institute legal proceedings to liberate his daughter from that merely nominal and most disreputable marriage. Be sure of that, Lee, and be patient. You cannot return before three years, and in three years much may happen. Indeed, much must happen." I will try to be patient, Aunt Elfrida, but, oh, what a fate is mine. It is a hard fate, Lee, but Odalite shares it. If you must live in suspense, why, so must she. Bear your fate for her sake, Lee. I will, I will, Aunt Elfrida, earnestly answered the youth. And remember, Lee, you are not to breathe to Odalite my doubts as to her freedom from Anglesia's yoke. I will not, Aunt Elfrida. I would not make her so unhappy, replied the lover. "'I will only tell her,' he added, "'that you think we had better correspond in the way you suggested, "'and wait for my return from sea to settle matters. "'Or shall I refer her to you?' "'Do both, Lee. "'Tell her what you propose to tell, and send her to me. "'I will not keep you any longer from your guests, Aunt Elfrida. "'I thank you very much for your kindness to me, "'and I shall be guided by your words,' said the young man, "'as he raised the hand of the lady to his lips, "'and then dropped it with a bow, and left the room.' Chapter 42. Other Interviews. He found Odalite waiting for him in the hall. She was dressed for a walk. "'Let us go over to Greenbushes this morning, Lee. It is such a fine morning. We can walk through the woods and rest on the bridge at Chinkapin Creek, and then we shall not be too tired when we get to the house,' she said in so many words. But all the while she spoke, her eyes asked, without words, "'What did Mamma say?' "'Happy thought. We will go, dearest. I will be ready in a trice, and we can talk as we go along,' replied Lee, with assumed gaiety, as he pulled down his overcoat from its hook and began to put it on. In two minutes they passed out of the front door, crossed the lawn, and entered the wood by the north gate. "'Now then, what did Mamma say?' eagerly demanded Odalite, as they went along the wooded path leading to the creek. "'She says, my darling, that I may write to you all the time I am away, as I would write to my sister if I had one.' "'but that I must not draw you into any engagement to marry, "'or words to that effect,' replied Lee, "'putting the hard case as gently as he could. "'I thought she would do that,' said Odalite, "'in a sorrowful and subdued tone. "'But, dearest dear, that does not prevent my binding myself to you "'in the most solemn manner for life and until death, "'and after death, and to all eternity, "'if one may be permitted to do so.' And here I swear, under this blue sky and bright moon, and in the presence of high heaven, that I will be true to you, Odalite, dearest Odalite, all the days of my life in this world and in the next, forever and ever. 
"'But yet I must not bind you by any promise, darling.' "'You do not need to, Lee,' she answered, sweetly and solemnly. "'You do not need to bind me by a promise. "'You know my heart, Lee, and you know that you can trust me. "'No word that might not pass between a brother and a sister will pass between us, "'for we shall know each other's hearts. "'And that shall suffice and satisfy us until we meet again, shall it not?' "'Yes, Odalite, yes, dearest dear, until we meet again. "'And when we meet again after my long voyage, "'by all that is holy and sacred in love and in life, "'neither man nor devil shall part us,' warmly exclaimed Leonidas. "'Oh, you mean things!' exclaimed a merry voice behind them. "'Leonidas and Odalite turned at once to see two little figures "'in buttoned coats and poke-bonnets running toward them, followed by the dog.' "'Oh, you mean things, you,' continued Wynnette, "'to sneak for a walk to Greenbushes "'without telling me and Elva a word about it. "'But Joshua told us he did indeed. "'You forgot to untie him when you started, Odalite, "'and he set up such a howl of anguish and despair "'that I had to run out to see what was the matter with him,' said Elva. "'And I had to follow, "'and I found him telling Elf such a tragic tale "'of how you and Lee had gone off and left him tied up, "'without even looking behind to bid him good-bye, "'that his heart was quite broken.' "'and he had been trying to hang himself on his own chain ever since,' added Wynnette. "'So you see I unchained him. "'But do you know he wouldn't go without us? "'He kept running on a little way and then running back, "'and begging and praying of us to come so hard, "'that at last Wynnette and I went in "'and put on our bonnets and coats and came after you,' said Elva. "'Joshua knew you were going to Greenbushes, "'and he wanted to go with you. "'So did we when he told us where you were gone.' "'You don't deserve such devotion, but you have got it anyway,' concluded Wynnette. It seemed rather hard that the children should interrupt the tete-a-tete of lovers who had come out of the house to saunter through the woods on purpose to be alone, and who were so soon to be separated for so long a time. But Leonidas and Odalite took the matter in perfectly good humor, and the four walked on amiably together. They reached Greenbushes in good time, and had a treat of sweet cider, gingerbread, and Indian walnuts from Aunt Molly and after a good rest they set out to return to Mondreer, where they arrived in time for dinner. In the meanwhile Mrs. Force was subjected to another interview. Leonidas and Odalite had scarcely left the house, and Mrs. Force had scarcely settled down to her embroidery, when there came a gentle tap at the door. "'Come in,' said Mrs. Force. Miss Meek entered, her pretty pale face slightly flushed, her usually quiet demeanor somewhat disturbed. "'Can I speak to you alone for a few moments, ma'am?' she inquired, rather nervously. "'Certainly, my dear, take that easy chair,' said the lady, in some surprise, as she motioned her visitor to be seated. Miss Meek sat down, but continued perfectly silent and extremely ill at ease. Mrs. Force observed her for some minutes, and, seeing no prospect of her speaking, inquired gently, "'What can I do for you, my dear?' "'I, I,' began the governess, "'taking up the corner of her black silk apron "'and beginning to scrutinize it very attentively, "'while her nervousness increased every instant. "'I do not know that you can do anything for me, ma'am, "'but, but, but—' "'Well, my dear,' inquired the lady kindly, "'seeing that the governess had paused in her embarrassment, "'I think that I ought—that it is my duty to give—to say, to tell—' "'began the poor girl, falteringly, and then coming to another dead halt. "'Can I help you out in any way? Are you in any difficulty? "'Have you any complaint to make? "'Speak, my dear, do not be afraid,' said the lady. "'Oh, no, but I am going to be married,' 
suddenly blurted out the girl, as by a heroic effort, and then she flushed crimson over cheeks, neck, and brow. "'Oh!' exclaimed Mrs. Force, not very much surprised, after all, for she had long seen to what purpose the visits of the little red-haired and freckle-faced Dr. Ingle tended. Then, recovering herself, she arose and kissed the young governess tenderly, saying, "'I congratulate you with all my heart, dear. Dr. Ingle is a very worthy young man.' "'You are intended as Dr. Ingle, I suppose,' said the lady, suddenly remembering that the governess had mentioned no name. "'Yes,' said Miss Meek, recovering herself now that the ice had been broken. "'Then I am very glad for your sake, and very sorry for the children's,' she added. Then Miss Meek began to cry. "'I cannot bear to leave Wynnette and Elva,' she sobbed. "'You will not be parted from them, dear,' kindly suggested Mrs. Force. "'You will be our neighbor, you know.' "'You will come to see us very frequently, I hope. "'And as for the children, they will run after you so much "'that I expect you will wish them a thousand miles off.' "'Oh, no, never, never, dear bright Wynnette and fond Elva. "'When your time comes, you will be married from this house, my dear, "'as if you were a daughter of the family. "'And if you have any friends or relatives whom you would like to have present, "'give me their names and addresses, "'and I will invite them to come and stay for the wedding,' said the lady." "'Oh, madame, how can I thank you? "'But your kindness to-day is only a continuation of the kindness "'you have shown me during the whole seven years I have lived at Mondreer. "'And always you have treated me as a daughter of the house, "'and my pupils have been as younger sisters. "'Ah, it seems ungrateful in me to leave them "'before they are grown up and out of my care. "'Do not think of that, my dear. "'Marriage is the natural destiny of a young woman. "'You have given enough of your youth to my children.' "'and now that a good man and true like Dr. Ingle loves you and wins your love, "'and offers you marriage, you should marry.' "'I have been very happy here with you and through you, madame,' said the governess. "'If it is so, as I hope and believe it is, it will be a very pleasant memory for us all. "'Do your pupils know of your engagement?' "'Oh, no, and I do so much dread to tell them. "'Well, do not let them look forward to the marriage as a parting.' "'Talk to them of your new home and the happy times they will have in visiting you,' said Mrs. Force. Miss Meek smiled and blushed, and said, "'I was to go to-morrow to inspect a new house in the village that the doctor was thinking of taking, if I should like it. Perhaps the children might go with me. Shall I ask them?' "'Certainly they would be delighted. It will be a good opportunity also in which to break the news to them. And without doubt, they will be very prompt in giving their valuable counsel on the subject.' "'But tell me, my dear, when is this happy event to come off?' "'Early in January. That is to say, if in the meantime you can suit yourself with another governess, for I should not think of leaving you until you had supplied my place.' "'I should not think of supplying your place with a new governess, my dear. Indeed, I have other plans. I have been thinking of going to Washington to spend the winter. If you were to remain with us, I should take you. But as you are to be married, I shall, instead of engaging a private governess—' "'Place my children at some good finishing school.' "'Well, who is there?' suddenly demanded the lady, "'as a loud rap sounded on the room door. "'Why, it's me. Who should it be?' said the voice of Mrs. Anglesia, "'as that jovial lady burst into the room, exclaiming, "'I was moped all but to death, "'all alone by my own self in the big parlour ever since breakfast. "'As well been at Wildcats. "'Oh, come in, Mrs. Anglesia. "'I do indeed owe you an apology.' "'I hope you will excuse me, but I have been particularly engaged all the forenoon,' said the mistress of Mondreer, as she arose and placed a chair for her guest. 
"'Thank ye. I hope I haven't interrupted you,' said the lady from the gold mines, dropping into the seat. "'Oh, no, we are quite at leisure now,' replied Mrs. Force. "'I wouldn't have disturbed you by coming here. Only I declare to man, I have been in every room in the house looking for someone to talk to, without finding a soul. And I even went into the kitchen to talk to the cook. But she was out, and there wasn't a soul there, though the pot was bilin' over, and the goose was burning in the roaster. So I sat on a stool on the hearth, and basted the goose and turned it, and much thanks I got for my pains. For presently, when the cook came back with a passel of cold mince pies to be put in the oven and warmed, she had been to the storeroom to fetch em. She as much told me my room was better in my company, or words to them effects. Leastways, she did say as ladies what was visitors, had no business in her kitchen. So then I come right in here. Our cook only wished to show her respect for you, and to do you honor. But being a very simple and ignorant negro woman, she did not know how to do so politely and properly, soothingly replied the lady of the house. What I would like is to be useful, and to do something to help earn my keep. But with so many folks about the place, I don't see as there's any room for me, or anything to do. So I reckon I had better vamoose the ranch, said the lady from Wildcats, but without the least loss of temper. I beg you to believe that we are all very much pleased to have you remain with us, just as long as you can make it convenient to do so, replied Mrs. Force, with sincere hospitality for she had nothing but good feeling toward the honest woman who was her chance guest. Thank ye, I knowed that. But you see, I don't want to dress up in my best clothes every day, and sit in the big parlor with my hands crossed before me in idleness all day long. It seems like a sinful wasting of time, in one like me, who for cooking, washing, and ironing, or scrubbing, sweeping, and dusting, hasn't her betters in this universal world, said the colonel's wife. You want something to employ your time? began Mrs. Force. "'You bet,' interjected her guest. "'Well, then, suppose you let me teach you how to do this silk embroidery. "'It is beautiful and attractive fancy-work and very easy to learn,' said Mrs. Force, "'holding out her frame, on which was stretched the half-finished cover of a foot-cushion. "'What, that rubbish?' disdainfully inquired the wild-cat's lady. "'No, thank ye. You can buy a great deal prettier things than that "'in any of the fancy stores for less money than the things cost to make it with, "'let alone the lost time. No, ma'am.' If I must waste all the days of my life, let it be an honest, barefaced idleness like I'm a-doing of now, and not in pretending to work, playing at work like you ladies here. I beg all your pardons. I never meant no offense, but I'm bound to tell the truth. No offense is taken, but we think our handiwork is a little more real, fine, delicate, and substantial than the machine work sold in shops, replied Mrs. Force, in some delicate, deprecating defense of her embroidery. Before Mrs. Anglesia could reply, the door was opened by Mr. Force, who had just come in from his daily ride around the plantation. He greeted all the ladies present, and the conversation became general. A little later on, Leonidas and the girls came in from their walk, and the family party separated to get ready for dinner, and at the usual hour met again around the table. End of chapter 42